I have a, a vivid uh, Christmas memory. When I was a boy, my dad would, when he'd come home from work, he was a pastor and a teacher, and he'd come from work, and, and not long after that, we would, we would have dinner, and then everything would get really quiet for the evening news, and dad would never allow any talking during the evening news, and, and then when that was over, not, not long after that, he would go back in his bedroom, and he would put his pajamas on, and he'd wear a, his pajamas, and he would be relaxed, he'd love it that I'm telling you this right now, and, and, his, uh, and his robe. In a winter, on a winter evening, that's the way it would be. And I have this, <laughs> this vivid memory of Dad uh, with this uh, tray that he, he got these trays. My dad's real frugal, and they got these trays when they were married, and they, they still have them. And in the evening, he would get one of these trays, and he would get it. So, uh, so he, had this, he had this tray and, and uh, this, this coffee, this cake, and this type A personality. He's always moving, doesn't sit down much, and... And so it, he wouldn't usually watch television with us. Um, but, but in this particular memory, he, he did briefly. He'd, he'd come through the room, and Christmas time, if you were watching, like, uh, the Grinch that stole Christmas, he would make funny noises about that, you know, like, oh, you know. Or if it's some syrupy, sentimental, Christless Christmas movie, he would kind of move through the room. But I have this... <laughs> vivid memory, and Evan, go ahead and display that. Thank you. I had this, this vivid memory. Um, I had this vivid memory of, uh, of my dad coming to the room when we were watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And, uh, and he stops, and he, and he goes, he says, okay, listen, L- listen, I-, I-, I want you to hear this. And it was the part that I'm going to show you here where well, Charlie Brown's frustrated because Christmas isn't going well. And he says, does anybody know what Christmas is all about? And then Linus says, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And then the, the, light, the house lights dim, and Linus quotes Luke chapter 2. And everything gets really, really quiet, and there's no music. It's just Linus quoting the Bible, Luke chapter 2. And then when he gets done, he walks over, takes his blanket, and he walks over to Charlie Brown, and he says, Charlie Brown, that is what Christmas is all about. And then Charles Schultz, or whoever produced the thing, did the neatest thing. Charlie Brown, then he walks outside underneath of the stars. And he stands underneath the stars, and he just looks up into the sky, and then he hears Linus's voice again, quoting Luke chapter 2. How many of you want to watch that in church today? Okay, Evan, make it, make it work, yeah. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown.
behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Does it bring back memories? So I want to do for you what Linus did for Charlie Brown. I'd like to take you back to the simple treasured texts of Christmas this year. And in particular, in the Gospel of Luke, just like Linus did for Charlie Brown. And I feel like that one of my jobs as a dad, and now as a grandpa, and certainly as a pastor for many years, has been to help to embed in the hearts of people a deep love for Christ and even for Christmas. And I unapologetically challenge people and encourage people to, to, to observe Christmas. And I believe it's the right thing to do. I believe it's the good thing to do. And I believe that one of my jobs is to embed in the hearts of my children and in my grandchildren and the people in our church a love for Christ and a love for Christmas. And the best way I know to do that is not to really be very innovative. It's not to say anything new. It's to really go back like Linus did and just open up the Bible to the book of Luke and to read the text that we've treasured for all of our lives and to talk about those texts. And so that's what I want to do with you in all of these messages leading up to Christmas, which will include this morning and tonight and next Sunday morning and we'll have a communion service and Sunday night. And then we'll be having some special Christmas musicals, the children's music of the adult and teen and then the Christian, the children's musical. And then of course in the morning services on the 14th and the 21st and then in the candlelight service uh, at 5 o'clock on Christmas Eve, we'll be in this series, um, That's What Christmas is All About. And all we're going to be doing is opening our Bibles to f- these familiar places in the book of Luke. And we're going to be concentrating on just a little short text in the book of Luke, a text that we've treasured all of our lives. And today's text is from Luke chapter 1. What happens first, of course, is that Luke introduces the gospel of Luke. It's written to a person, to a single person. And by the way, here's a, 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 probably a key thing to speak or write well is speak or write to a single person. And Luke is writing to Theophilus in order for him to have a certainty about the things concerning Christ. And, in it, and, and he begins by then in Luke chapter 1 and in verse 5, he tells the story of the, the birth of the John the Baptist, which was first announced to his father, Zacharias, to his mo- mother, Elizabeth. And that's in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. And then in verse 26, you have another scene. And in verse 26, this scene is the angel Gabriel, who now is sent to Mary. He's the angel Gabriel from the presence of God. There are only two angels that are mentioned by name in the Bible. And this is one, Gabriel, and the other one's name is Michael. You knew that. There are many, many other angels mentioned in the Bible. And if you stick around after the first of the year, we're actually going to do a brief series of messages where we really talk about the unseen world. And in particular, what the Bible has to say about angels. It'll be really a fascinating study about what the Bible says about angels and especially about the unseen world. But here we're getting a glimpse into the world unseen. And God has been silent and the angels have been silent. And now he sends the 
the main messenger, Gabriel, who he says stands in the presence of the Lord. And Gabriel gives this birth announcement of John the Baptist. And then he gives an announcement to Mary. And Mary is probably a young teenager. And he come, this, the angel Gabriel goes to Mary and he announces the birth, that, that not only that the Messiah is going to come, but he announces that she's going to have a baby. And she knows that she's never been with a man. This is a shocking announcement, and that's where the text is going to be taken from. And then, so you have the announcement in, in Luke chapter uh, 1, starting there in verse 26, and it goes down to verse 38. And that's what that is there as you study this on your own. We won't take time to study all of this, obviously. But that's the announcement. And then what happens is then Mary visits Elizabeth, and you have this most touching gospel conversation. One of the first true gospel conversations ever concerning the uh, advent of Christ or the coming of Christ is between these two women uh, that, you know how women are when they get together and they're both pregnant and they're talking about, you know, if they have heartburn and swollen ankles and what they want to eat that they didn't eat before and can't eat now and all of that stuff. They had this, this conversation, but they had this beautiful conversation. And then you have this delightful song of praise, which which Mary, young Mary gives this song of praise that starts in Luke chapter 1 in verse 46. And it runs all the way through verse 55, where she gives a song of praise that sounds a lot like the song of praise that Hannah gave in the Old Testament. And so we really believe that Mary, even though she's very young, was very familiar with the Bible and very devout. And yet, we'll talk more about, about Mary, but that's kind of like puts this, it gives us the setting for the little chunk of treasured Christmas text that we want to look at today, which is really back in, in, uh, in Luke uh, chapter 1 and verse 31. Let's go to the next slide there. Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through verse 33. And, and what, what I want to do is I want to read the text to you. Then I want to show you five things that the angel Gabriel says about Mary's little baby, which are really unusual things to say about a baby. And what does that have to do with us? And that's really all that we're doing today. In Luke chapter 1 and verse uh, 26, is now the sixth month, that would be the sixth months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, because that was the narrative, it just rolls out of that narrative. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And then verses 31 through 33, he's going to list five things about Mary's little baby. Behold, I, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. You have to admit, that's an amazing set of things, these five things. So I want you to look at these five things today. Let me go on and read the rest of this announcement to Mary, though. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. 
And indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, who's now conceived a son in her old age, this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaiden of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Then you have the story about Mary visiting Elizabeth. Okay, okay, notice these five things that the angel says to Mary are going to be true about the baby that she's going to have. This is no ordinary baby. Obviously, for you to understand the Christian faith or for you to explain the Christian faith to anybody else or for you to make the Christian faith known to your children in a way that they will really understand it and have their lives transformed by it. It's really important that you teach them who Jesus is. That's the heart of everything. Everything is who is Jesus. Think about that. Even all the questions that you might have about the Old Testament are answered in who is Jesus. If Jesus is who he said he was, then everything he said is true is true. So you don't have to decide about all that other stuff. You just have to focus on Jesus. If you're dealing with an an unbeliever, listen to their story. Let them talk. Let them tell you how they feel, what they believe. Listen to all of it. Try to understand them and and, and, and treat them with with dignity and, and kindness. But then when you have opportunity somehow expose them to who Jesus is. For instance, a great way to do this is to give them the, the gospel of John. If they're interested, if they're a seeker, if they're open, and, and just tell them, read the gospel of John. And take your time. Read it as many times as you want to, but read the gospel of John, and then you tell me what you think the gospel of John is saying about Jesus. Don't even t- tell them they have to make a decision about who Jesus is. They just need to know, what does the gospel of John say about Jesus? What is it saying? Let them come back to you and tell you. And usually they'll get it right right away because it's really obvious. But even if they don't right away, just say, keep reading it. Because what happens is this. The Bible is an unusual book. It's not written by men. It's written by God. It's written by man and God. And what God does is he empowers the Bible so it's self-authenticating. So when a person is reading the Bible, if a God is drawing that person to himself and they're reading the Bible, the Bible itself stirs up faith in people. Isn't that amazing? It's self-authenticating witness of Jesus. So they're reading the Gospel of John, or maybe you're just reading this aloud with your kids, and as you read the Gospel of John, it's like, this is who Jesus is, and these are the signs of who Jesus is. And once a person believes who Jesus really is, that's when they're born again, because then they believe that he's their Savior for their sin. And so you have here this, this the, the angel Gabriel come from the presence of God to Mary, and he says, you're going to have a baby, and the baby is God. And, and then he says these things, you'll call his name Jesus. That, that means if you study in Matthew, the other kind of birth narrative passage, you study in Matthew, you see that, you know this, that the word Jesus means savior. It means savior, like military conqueror, deliverer. And in particular, you, your, your question would be, well, what's he going to save me from? And if you lived in first century, if we'll call it Palestine, if you lived in first century Palestine, you would say, save me from the Romans. Save me from the Pharisees. Save me from the oppression that I have to face. But God's idea of saving people, thank the Lord, was much bigger than just kind of one of those kind of localized deliverances. It would be a universal and eternal deliverance from sin, which is really the thing behind every despot in the world. It's sin that causes all the tension that we're seeing in our nation today, the terrible racial tension and the terrible things that are tearing up and divide. At a time when our our nation should be united in love, we're divided because of sin in many of its different forms. And Jesus, the baby, Mary's baby, 
is an unusual baby. He's going to be a conqueror of the worst problem in the whole world. Jesus, conqueror, savior from sin. You're going to call his name Jesus. Second thing he says to her is, he will be great. And there's kind of an understatement. Earlier, when he gives the announcement to Zacharias about John, he says, John is going to be great. It's a great, it's a beautiful, mild understatement in the Bible. This is not an ordinary baby. If you haven't figured this out already, he's going to be great. He's, and, and, then, and then, as if to say, great like John the Baptist, no, greater than anybody who's ever been, he is going to be called something no one else has ever been called, no one else will ever be called, the son of the highest. And if you're a student of scripture and you read the Bible, just read the Bible, the English Bible over and over again, you will see that the Bible clearly and obviously claims that Jesus Christ is God. He's not like God. He's not just a representative of God. He's not the son of God in terms of like the offspring of God, but less than God. What that designation means is that he, it's claiming that Jesus is very God of very God. He is the son of the highest, the expression of God's glory. So the angel who stands in the presence of God is saying to this little girl, really this very, very young, unmarried girl from a kind of an out-of-the-way place. It's not Nazareth of Galilee is not the center of anything. They call it Nazareth of uh, Galilee of the Gentiles. It's not the center of the Jewish area. It's certainly not the center of the Roman area. It's not the center of anything. It's not the center of Greek culture. It's not the center of, of, of Jewish culture. It's just this little out-of-the-way burg where this teenage girl is from. And he says, the baby you're going to have, even though you've never had relations with a man, is going to be the son of the highest. It's a designation of deity. And that's what he says there in verse 32. And then there are two other things that are beautiful in these beautiful phrases. And, and the next one is, And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of David forever. Isn't that a mouthful? The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of David forever. That's an amazing statement because what that does is it obviously points to the future, but it reaches way back into the past. And, it's, and what it's doing is, is that the angel Gabriel is telling Mary, and Mary would understand this, being a Jewish girl, would understand that he's saying this baby that you're going to have, even though you've never had relations with a man, you're a virgin, this baby is going to be the promised Messiah that for centuries... Holy prophets have said we're going, was going to come. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah, of Christ. The Messiah means the same thing. He will reign, he will reign over the house of Jacob. So he'll be the king of the Jews. Um, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. There are people who believe that there's a coming kingdom for Christ, but it's not Jewish. It's just a coming kingdom, and that... The nation of Israel altogether and the Jewish people have been set aside. They kind of missed their opportunity and they were completely set aside. And the church has kind of taken their place, replaced the Jews. And, and, and that, would, that would be, if we believe that, it might tie up a few loose ends and make some things easier. But the only problem with that is there are so many very specific and explicit promises that God is going to have a people. Now you understand that Jewish people today, for the most part, are not believers in Jesus Messiah. Israel, like Zionism today, is not an expression of enthusiasm for Jesus Christ. I will tell you that very clearly. 
And yet, there, it is interesting that there, there, are, there, there is a people there, and, there, and there's a regathering there, and there's certainly a regathering in unbelief, and yet there are some in that land who are Jewish and who are believers in Messiah. And there are some in that land who are, you would call Palestinian, and they were believers. Am I right about this, Zach? Yeah. They were believers in Messiah. Like, I am one, right? And they believe in Messiah. They believe in Jesus. They've trusted him as their savior. But one day, there's going to be a coming kingdom, and God, to show how great he is, is going to take this little pipsqueak nation of Israel, and he's going to make himself known throughout. But Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David and the promises that were made like in Daniel. So who gave the prophecy to Daniel? God did. But who did he send to give the prophecy to Daniel? Gabriel. That's right. Good answer. Is that interesting to you? So God gives to Gabriel, it's just the Gabriel who stands in his presence. It's like supercharge angels, like go tell Daniel this amazing prophecy. And the amazing prophecy that God gave to Daniel was about the future and about a future kingdom. And now there's this silence. And then here comes Gabriel again with a message, but this time he's not going to a prophet or a priest or king, but to a peasant girl in a little out of the way burg in a hilly northern region of Galilee in a town very few people ever heard of. And when they did talk about it, they talked about it derisively, Nazareth. And he says, you're going to be the mother of the son of the highest, which ties directly to that messianic prophecy that Gabriel gave, God gave through Gabriel to Daniel. In other words, God is going to keep his promise in a literal, physical way. And this, is, this brings us from some kind of myth that's cute to sing about at Christmas time. There's something that matters for you here and now. It's like, like, you know, if you're a young person and you're ever tempted to disobey your parents, like your parents, they don't have, you know, good sense about certain things and they tell you that they want you to wear this or not wear that or go here or not go there, put away the iPod or iPad or or whatever it is. And you're like, I don't want to do that. Well, you know what the answer to that is? I don't want to shock you or be mean or, or pull rank, but the answer to that is this. Is there a God? Is there a God? Okay, good. that's a good answer here. Yes, there's a God. Is there a God? Yes, there's a God. Has he expressed himself in the Bible, God's word? Yeah, yeah, all right. His son is Jesus Christ. Yes, ten commandments are the commandments of God, including the fifth commandment. Ah, I get it. I get it. Every parent knows the fifth commandment, right? Honor your father and mother. I'll be well with you. Dwell along the land. Is there a God? Does this make sense? You say, what does this have? What does Christmas have to do with me? Has everything to do? By the way, this is why I don't like it when people say I'm a devout Christian, but I don't believe in celebrating Christmas. I'm like, are you kidding with me right now? I totally don't agree with that. I totally don't agree with that. And I'll tell you why. Because Christmas is the time when all the carols have the whole gospel in them. People are going to say, well, we're never given a command to recognize a nativity. Rubbish. Of course we are. We're given a command to give the gospel. The nativity is a part of the gospel. And no decent Christmas carol doesn't say all of that. They all do. You ever notice that? You start, we're going to sing the Christmas hymns and the Christmas carols throughout this month. And you're going to notice that they're not just talking about little Jesus meek and mild in the manger. They're going to talk about the coming king. They're going to talk about the kingdom. They're going to talk about the millennial reign. They're going to talk about the death of Christ. They're going to talk about the burial of Christ. They're going to talk about the resurrection of Christ. Do not tell me that you're not going to celebrate Christmas. That's just ridiculous. I'm just telling you that. 
I have a strong opinion about that. And it doesn't really even matter if you agree with me. Because I believe that my job and my kids' lives and your life is to embed in your heart a great love for Christ and a great love for the story of Christ and a great love for the gospel and, yes, a great love for Christmas. So if you're Scrooge, you're going to really be uncomfortable this month. Just not going to work very well for you. And I know, no, no. You say, well, it's been distorted or it's been materialized. Like, well, that's if you decide to do it that way. That's your business. Me, I'm going to, like, here's what I did last night. I'm driving home. We had taken two different cars. So I'm driving home from our, like, Chuck's birthday party, part of our Thanksgiving celebration. I happen to be alone. And I have a recording of beautiful music that I have listened to for years and years and years. Happens to be a Christmas album by Julie Andrews. And it's all hymns. It's just beautiful. And I looked at my iPod and I realized that it was about 50 minutes long and my drive was going to be about 50 minutes. And I decided that I was going to spend those 50 minutes with the Lord just listening to hymns of Christmas. Don't you dare tell me that wasn't a genuine worship experience that I had last night driving home, listening to those beautiful hymns of Christmas. All about the nativity of my Savior, Jesus Christ. All about his virgin birth. All about his life, his sinless life, his healing, his death, his resurrection. I celebrate Christmas, and I challenge you to celebrate Christmas right. Don't give Christmas away to other people because they've messed it up. You go ahead and you say, have I made myself clear about this? Yes. So here we have this unique baby, and yes, I will, I will celebrate his birth. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. He has a throne of David. But then it says, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And if you study the Bible, you know it's not just Jewish, but it's going to involve all of us who believe not only in a thousand-year reign of Christ, which is particularly Jewish, and a promise, a fulfillment of a Jewish promise, but in an eternal reign of Christ that is his ultimate kingdom, which we call the eternal state, which all of us will when he joins heaven and earth together. Jesus Christ is the ultimate universal king. So kids, young people, not picking on you, love you a bunch. And I was a kid once a very long time ago. It just boils right back down to that. If you want, I'll obey my mom and dad because there is a God. And one day he's going to rule the whole earth. I do what the Lord says about human sexuality because there is a God. And one day he's going to rule the whole earth. I trust him that he's going to compensate me in eternity for anything that I suffer in this life. Because there is a God. And his son is Jesus. And he was born to a virgin. And he's going to reign forever. And I'm going to be a part of that kingdom on this earth. And that's why I obey the Lord. And I love obeying the Lord. And I'm eager to obey the Lord because he's everything I'm not. Think about this. Here's Mary. And, and here's the angel. And the angel Gabriel is telling Mary, Mary, here's who your baby is going to be. He's going to be everything you're not. Right? He's going to be everything you're not. That's really what he's And he's going to be everything you need. That's really what it, Gabriel is saying to Mary. Think about who is Mary? Who is Mary? Think about this just for a minute. As a matter of fact, I made a couple of notes. Mary was a sinner. She says, my spirit is rejoiced in God, my Savior. She knows her son, the baby Jesus, is going to be her Savior, which means she knew she needed a Savior. Mary was a sinner like you and I are sinners. A devout gal, absolutely, and yet a sinner. And her baby would be her Savior. Mary was common. And what does it say about Jesus? He will be great. He will be great. Mary was human, obviously, what does it say? He'll be called the son of the highest. Your baby, though, is going to be divine. Mary was weak, poor, oppressed, guilty, hurt, 
and her baby was going to be the universal and eternal king of the entire universe. That is wonderful. Her baby, Jesus, is everything Mary wasn't and everything Mary needed. As Mary contemplated, which the Bible says a couple of times, that Mary thought, she pondered, she contemplated, she quietly, she had a quiet reverence about her where she would think about these things and receive these things. These had to be a rich comfort to to her, just like they'll be a rich comfort to you. Not just something to hang over your head so that we can make you obey your parents. is not what I'm talking about. But something that will be a great comfort to you if you're poor. A great comfort to you if you're oppressed, if there are other people in your life that are more powerful than you are. And you feel like that life is unfair or maybe the system is broken because the system is broken. Or maybe there are people in the world that are pressing, oppressing your people. And you feel like you can't get out underneath the weight of that. That generation after generation, your people have been pressed down. That is exactly how Mary must have felt. She's a woman and women were disenfranchised in that time in particular. She's a, a poor woman. She's a common woman. She's in a race that's often mistreated, and yet she's going to bear a child who is all these things, the savior from sin of the whole world. He's great, the son of the highest. He will fulfill the messianic promises to Israel, and eventually he'll reign over the whole earth as king. She's going to have this baby. Now, why did God let Mary have this baby? Well, it was for Mary because she, he loved her and because she needed a savior. And because he delighted in her, because she found favor in his sight, because he graced her. He didn't let Mary have that baby because she was the best girl on earth. That's not the way he worked. That's, that would be contrary to the entire message of the entire Bible. There is that kind of flipping things on its head that the Bible always does. He didn't choose her because she was particularly vile or sinful. But he didn't choose her because she was particularly good either. He chose her because he decided to put his grace upon her. He graced her. He highly favored her. He gave her his grace. That's the message of the, the New Testament. Even what's the point of him going to a, sending an angel to a girl who lives in Naz- Galilee of the Gentiles? Because he's trying to send a message that if you're poor or oppressed or even, God forbid, if you're a Gentile, I'm sending my son for you. And you can be free from your sin. And, and that's true with us. Jesus is, is everything that we're not. I was talking to my dad. And my dad, has he passes a little church in a place called South Litchfield, which you would have to have a map to find. It's a delightful little burg. And his little church sits up on a little hill. They live in a little Cape Cod parsonage next door. And they did the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes, just like we did. And their little church did 40 of them, which is a lot. They did 40 of them. On Sunday night, I have a routine that I love. Years and years ago, my parents are in ministry. My grandparents were in ministry and so forth and loved their church. And so remember, you, you, you guys are old timers like me, when you used to be able to call on the weekends cheaper. And so my parents would always have a Sunday night phone call after church. They get home from church they make a Sunday night phone call to my grandparents. And they would have 30 minutes and they would just tell, catch them up on church, everything that was going on. As a kid, I always remember just quietly. It was a part of our Sunday night routine. Is you just sat quietly the whole house and you listened while mom and dad talked to grandma and grandpa. And they caught up on things. So on Sunday night, I have a routine. And it's because of that. Every Sunday night when I leave here, tonight it will be a little bit later because we have an executive meeting. But every Sunday night, like clockwork, I get in my car and then I 
talk on my phone. Yes, I do. And, and I talked to my parents. And last Sunday night, it was no exception, I called. And when I called, my parents answered the phone. Kenny, how you doing? And I was like, it's a great day. How to go for you? And my dad said, we did Operation Christmas Child. I said, that's awesome. How did you do? He goes, 40 boxes. I said, that's amazing. Good for you. And my mom says, or my dad says, your mom did hers and I did mine. And I said, really? Yep. He goes, and I always put a football in mine. And I'm like, well, that's good because kids all around the world all like American football, right? But so my dad says, you want me to tell you why? And I, I want to say, you probably should have put a soccer ball in there, you know, because of the world, you know. But here's what my dad said. He said, you know, I grew up on Bowers Avenue in a depression and I never had a football. He said, so I never pack one of those boxes without finding a football. And I put a football in the box. He said, when I was, when I was growing up, my dad grew up in Newark, Ohio, which is a really calm. There's no fancy place in Newark. And he lived on the other side of the tracks of Newark, Ohio, where it's really common. On Bowers Avenue, Google it. It's really common. The little house still stands where my dad grew up during the Depression. And he said that they played football all the time, but nobody ever had a football. He said he never remembered growing up and having a real football. What he remembered is them having a Quaker Oats cylinder. He said it was great, even though it was kind of like the passing game was difficult. He said it was great until somebody got tackled and fell on the ball. (laughs) He said then it would crush the ball, and we would have to look for a a ball of socks or something in, in order to play football. And if you used to watch, anyway, so... I said, it's kind of interesting that, you know, Mary came from a a common town. She came from common people, poor people. And God came from his palace in heaven to a common woman who had no power, who had no privilege, who had no authority, who had no money. And he did that on purpose because he wants to be all that we need to when I was a little boy, my mom would always try to make Christmas special for us and make Christ known to us at Christmas time. And so she would put us in bed at night, and she just, we didn't have too many, but she had a few records, a few record albums. She had Larry Whiteford, who later I would work, I would grow up and I would work for Larry Whiteford with him. He'd be the senior pastor. She had Larry Whiteford's Christmas recording. She had a, a lady named Gloria Rowe keyboard stylings, beautiful. But she also had this record or maybe a couple from a lady whose name was Helen Barth. Helen Barth is still living. She has advanced Alzheimer's right now, but she's still living. A few years ago, she visited Flint when we were running the character in there. I heard she was going to be in town and I called her. I said, would you come to the character in? And what we'd like you to do is, my little brother Nathan is here. You can play the piano. We'd like you to do a concert in the lobby at the character in. Do you guys remember that? She did a concert in the lobby and she interspersed testimonies between her beautiful songs and this lady knew the Lord. When I was a little boy, mom would play these records while we were going to sleep at night at Christmas time. And there would be the glow of the Christmas tree out in the living room. And there would be this beautiful Christmas music playing. Pastor Stephen called me this week, and he looked at what I was going to be preaching on. And he said to me, would it be okay? Or, I'm sorry, he didn't call, but he texted me and he, and he, or, or emailed me. And anyway, he said, would it be okay for us to use Thou Didst Leave Thy Throne? And that was one of those songs that Helen Barth would sing. Do you remember this song? It, the, the song was written by the first cousin of the, the woman, Charlotte Elliott, who wrote Just As I Am. She was a pastor's daughter in England. 
And she often would work in, uh, with poor people in the slums, if you will, in rescue missions and with children. And one of the things that she loved to do was she loved to gather uh, little hymn books, make little hymn books. She had a hymn book called a hymn book for under the pillow. And she would give this hymn book to people who were sick. And she would visit the people who were sick and she would sing to them. But she had another little hymn book that she put together. And this hymn book was for little children. And in this hymn book for little children, she wrote a song so little children would understand in a way they could understand that they could invite Jesus into their hearts. And, and you know the song, Thou dost leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home was there found no room for thy holy nativity. And then the, the, the wonderful little chorus of every verse, and I remember lying in my bed at night, and I remember singing it and listening to it. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for you. I understood that. And as I was thinking about that, it occurred to me that was December. And in May, during family devotions, I opened up my heart to the Lord and I invited him into my heart. And I have never regretted that. I meant for it, it wasn't, wasn't long after that. It was a few years later. I think we have one more slide. A few years later, see if you can find that. A few years later, my dad was preaching up in Midland, a little church at the time. They called it Highway Byway Baptist Church. It's called Carter Road Baptist Church right now. It was Christmas Day in 1966. And my dad preached and, and he invited people to follow the Lord. He invited people to be baptized. And a bunch of the people hadn't been baptized. And I hadn't been baptized yet. I wanted to be baptized. And so what they did is they took water from a spring and they filled the baptistry on Sunday afternoon and on Christmas night in 1966. That's when I was baptized in that, in that little building right there. And I think about that hymn that we sang, Thou Dost Leave Thy Throne. And I think about my little heart trusting in Jesus Christ and 48 years ago getting baptized in that little church. And I've made a lot of decisions in my life I wish I could have taken back and done differently, but that's not one of them. And if you're here today and you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ, the king of the universe that came into Mary will come into your heart. And you say, well, I've already done that. I knew many of you already have done that. Can I say it's, it's, it's Advent time. It's nativity worship time. It's Christmas time. It's a wonderful time for you to open your heart again and again and again. And I have a couple things before we go today. I'd like for you to sing this song. I'd like for us to sing it all together. And then instead of a closing prayer, I have arranged a special closing song for you. I think it'll be a blessing to you. It'll just ring in your heart as you go. Let's stand together now as Pastor Stephen leads us.